So if you have your Bibles, copy of God's Word, using the English Standard Version, James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I ask that you grab this, read with me. Verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he, met, has, that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you in due time. Church, this morning I want to preach with this thought in mind. If you will take this and hold on to it as we work through the passage this morning. The problem in the community and God's provision. The problem in the community and God's provision. You know, user error in what I do in my nine to five is probably one of the uh, most frustrating things to resolve. I can fix the problem. Most times it's something very simple. But getting over the humanity, the, hum the human piece is oftentimes the challenge, the arrogance, the pride, just getting in the way. Once I'm able to get over that, sometimes it's just pressing the button. Sometimes it's just a quick few keystrokes. Very rarely I run into someone who's appreciative and humble. I've been doing this thing now for over 20 years and I can remember about two years in my journey. I was in a customer's home and that individual, I just don't remember the degrees that they said they had, but they saw me fix the problem quickly and they said, wow, asked me about my study and my, how did, what did I learn from? 
and they disclosed to me that they had such and such degree, spent X amount of dollars, and here it is, you fixed this within a few minutes. They were humble, they was appreciative. Those experiences get the job done quickly, we move on, it creates a, a harmonious experience, but it's the ones that have the, the arrogant spirit, the know-it-alls, the ones that get in the way, just won't move. I gotta reach up to chapter three, verse 18, as we make our way to verse four, I have to. One of the blessings of chapters is that it brings organization to God's word. Right? One of the blessings of verses, it helps us with memory verses. But one of the, I don't want to say curse, that may be too strong of a word, but one of the problems is that the chapter breaks and the verses sometimes miss the flow. It mixes the pericope, the, the unit of thought that the writer, the author is trying to convey. And so I know you left off in verse 18. We're just going to grab it and continue on down. Verse 18 reads, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those, those, those who make peace. James is very, very clearly after something here. For years, I've been informed or told that, you know, James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Talk about his pithy statements. Doesn't seem to have a flow. Eh, sometimes. Some people, some, some commentators, relegate James to... Old Testament Amos because of his focus on social justice. I want to point out that James is after the flourishing of community, specifically God's ecclesia or the church, the called out ones. Not the brick and mortar, not the pews, stained glass windows and steeple, not the building. Those individuals he has plucked out of darkness and into his marvelous light. One of the problems is when you get people together of any origin or nationality, there's always a problem because of the people. One of the things I've seen in James chapter 4 is the use of the word you, you, 24 times in 10 verses, the word you is used. And so this morning, the word of God is not for somebody we're thinking about. The word of God is not for people that's out there. <laughs> the word of God this morning, the message is for I'm going to join y'all for us. The word of God is for us. He says, he says again, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. I got to work with that. A harvest of righteousness. Righteousness is an important word in scripture. It is an important word. Righteousness. To be made right. 
to be de declared righteous. That is without any merit of your own. No one can be made right with God by their own merits. The flesh will never be able to achieve that. That is what that word means. But it also speaks of those who are bent toward gospeling the gospel, living out God's word in community. So the full range of righteousness is being used here. Yes, those who have been declared right with God and those who appreciate God's beauty that he's doing with the church and its position in the world and being a part of it and living it out wherever you are planted. Those whom James speaks of, a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. Then again, 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 peace is being brought up here. You and I cannot, will not be all that God has called you to be in isolation. COVID kind of set us back a bit. But as I see this morning, we're beginning to get back to some sense of normalcy. But we cannot be all that we are called to be in the Lord and be a long range of Christian. I need you and you need me. And as we together, the church, aim for peace, work through peace, excuse one another, get out of the way and allow for gifts to flourish and for what God has placed in you to be utilized through the church, my, 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 that's a beautiful thing. One of the most beautiful things you've ever seen is a well-oiled church. But, but James says, he asks a question somewhat rhetorical, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Notice that question. In the first sentence, there's that first you, right? Quarrels and fights among you. There is no explaining this away. I can only shed light on it. Yes, James really means quarrels. He means fights. He means wars. Where? In the church. Not in the bar, in the club, in the mall, not in the world, in the church. You say, sales, how is that possible? Let me just, I can shed some light on it, right? During this time, AD 56-ish, 46 to 56, right around that time, early church, church getting on its feet, just starting to, to branch out to be launched, you have those who have been saved who are part of a movement, a political movement called the Zealots, right? And these were insurrectionists, those who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. And now they have confessed Christ, saved, bags are packed, Lord calls their name, they're out of here. However, they bring that with them into the church. They bring that disposition, bring that attitude, they're ready to fight. Right? And so, yeah, fights, quarrels, wars happening within the church. He says this, is it not 
that your passions are at war within you? Notice this now. Every one of us who name the name of Christ, if you're honest, you have the Spirit of God living on the inside, pulling you this way, right? And you have yourself, your inner man, pulling you another way. There's the kingdom of God that is not meat and drink. It's not meat and drink. It's within you. And then you have also the kingdom of your old self still on the end, and there's a war. And we bring that to God's church. And we want to act, some of us, let me read on here, you desire, you do not have, you murder, am I? You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Notice this. Some of us have unfulfilled desires, things we want to carry out. And we see sometimes that happening in the life of another, and that brings up some covetousness. We want what someone else has. Maybe you're not willing to go to the lengths of quarrel and fighting, but you're Major, you may just sit where you are, you're not going to participate, just going to stick your flag down and just be ornery, be difficult, be, be a problem. Show up, but just be, I'm just going to be, a, I'm here, I'm just going to be a problem. I'm not going to avail myself to what God is doing in the community, I'm just going to be present. Mm-hmm. Maybe you won't act it out with your hands. Right? Maybe you won't fight it out. Maybe you won't duke it out, but you'll just be a problem. So, Bible says, what's the problem with that? It's a lack of prayer. It's prayerlessness. How many of us, if you're honest, this week coming up, do you, not, 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 not are you going to pray, do you have an intentional approach to prayer? I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to myself too. I'm talking about something that's guarded, you're not going to allow, you know how we do with our series, our Netflix series or whatever we're going to give ourselves to, a guarded time where we're going to pray and spend time with the Lord. He, the scriptures are saying, These things occur because, first of all, you're not praying, and then when you do pray, you're only praying because you want it. You want that thing for yourself. Nothing wrong with praying for your needs and praying for things that you need and praying for yourself, but when it's your priority, when it is the priority of your prayer that you're praying for things, when you're putting yourself ahead of others, that's when this becomes an issue. The text says you, you do not have. Why don't you have? Why don't we have? Because, how many times you comes up? You do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your possessions. My, 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 my. My, my. Notice what he says. He says, you adulterous people. These are strong words, y'all. Strong words. James is not pulling any punches here. He's almost prophetic. Not necessarily how, what he's speaking 
but in the mode of the Old Testament prophets, this is how James writes. Right? Since you adulterous people, now for those who are in the language of the text, you'll see that there may be a problem here, right? Because I'm looking out and I see men and women. But this is female by nature, adulterous, right? What is it that James is getting after? I want you to just consider, scripturally, biblically, that James is referring to Old Testament people of God and his relationship that he had with them. As Jehovah, he was the husband to his people. And so when his people would flirt and flaunt themselves with idols, the Old Testament prophet would call them out and call them adulterers or adulteresses. You with me here? So how does this fit, Sales? It does fit because the New Testament people of God are the church, the bride of Christ. And when we decide, as we're getting ready to get into it in a minute, to have friendship with the world, we, in effect, by relationship, we become adulterers or adulteresses with the Lord. He says, he says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your possessions. You adulterous people, exclamation mark. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Yes, yes, yes. Again, let me just unpack some things. Because we use the word friends, and we have friends. We may have friends on our social media platforms. But that word is used very loosely. Right? But not necessarily. You can have 3,000, 5,000 friends, but are they really your friends? Right? That's not the use of the word of friends in these times. This was a more close, intimate use of the word friendship in the sharing also of things of, hear me now, everything. Yeah, wherever your mind is going, everything. Right? And what James is getting at is not only just people in general, but the world system. The engine, the spirit that's behind the world, the little G God of the world is the enemy, the devil. Yes, yes, the one that's behind things, pulling strings and places of power, principalities and powers in high places that makes itself down to where we live, to our front doorstep, to our music, to our eye gate, what we watch and consume. Yeah, yeah, the enemy is there. And what God says, when we have friendship, we have devotion, when we exchange our devotion with him, let me just get real here, plain. Speaking to myself as well. Sum up the time that's spent on TV, our phone, on other things. Sum that time up if you can, right? Put a number on it. And then if you can, sum up the time that's spent in devotion with God. Add those two numbers up. Now, I'm married, right? My wife 
gets upset when I spend too much time riding my bike. I just did 100 miles last month. The only reason I was able to put six and seven hours on the road because that was a birthday gift to myself. So she allowed and supported that. But if I put too much time into other things than I do with her in relationship to her, something's off, there's a problem. The equilibrium of my home is upset. Y'all not with me here. It's the same thing with God. It's no different. We are the bride of Christ. And he ain't looking for you to spend eight hours with them, but come on now, we can 15, stretch it to 30. Maybe commit an hour. We can spend some time with the Lord. Hmm? I know it's a fast-paced time. I'm with you. I feel you. I'm a home of five. And three te- two teen boys and one young adult. I understand. It's friendship with the world. It's enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you think this language is too strong? Rhetorical question. But let me just remind you that when Peter had an epiphany, something that the Lord Jesus Christ says, flesh and blood could not show this to you, Peter. My father must have showed. Jesus is asking, what are they saying about me out there? Who do they say that I am? Who do they say I am out there? I want to know what they're saying out there. Some say you're there, some say you're there. Peter pipes up, says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus gets excited. I got to imagine goosebumps all over him. And he tells him, flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you. He even gets a name change. That's when his name becomes Peter. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Awesome experience just happened. And traditional to how Peter is. He puts his foot in his mouth in a few more passages. In his zealousness for the Lord and who he is and just his love for him, the Lord begins to unpack why he came, give the reason for why he's here, lets him know that I must suffer at the hands of the chief priests and scribes. I must go to the cross. I must be mishandled by them. I will be killed but on the third day I shall rise. And Peter says, no sir, that ain't happening. You can't do that, Lord, that can't happen. And how does Jesus respond? Just as strong as James. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. Anytime we oppose God's business, we become Enmity. We become an enemy of God. Don't lose your salvation. Still eternally His. But you become a stumbling block. You become a resistor to what God is trying to do in a community. If I was homeless, I would say this is not a shouting message. Amen. Or do you suppose it not, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit 
that he, made, that he has made to dwell in us. Most commentators and those who have scholarship much smarter than I wrestle with that statement. Wrestle with that statement. I like to believe, and I'm no smarter than them, that James, again, is not doing anything pithy. He's not saying something and stopping and starting. There's a flow here. That God loves you. He loves you. Loves you so much, he has bankrupted heaven when he allowed his son to die on the cross. He has emptied his pockets. There is no greater love. There's nothing more God does, he cannot and will not love you anymore right now, tomorrow, next year, and eternity later. He loves you, and he is rightfully jealous of you. Just like I am, because of my love, not petty, for my wife. Right? And if she had eyes for another, I righteously... Am I right that I would be jealous? And that's how God is when we got elevator eyes for idols. Watch this, because what God is going to tell us and what he has said is that you become like the very thing you worship. And you want to know what you worship, take the time later on and tally up your hours. That's going to tell you where your worship is, where our worship is. He yearns, he's jealous, righteously, because he deserves singleness, he deserves single devotion. When someone tries to come into our lives, like we should in our relationship, our interpersonal relationships, that idol should get the hand. Therefore, it says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going to back up a bit. But he gives more grace. So we, we, unpack, we unpack the problem. The problem in the community, and I'm going to tell you, I mean, I, they won't give me a microphone, but I'm going to tell you, our streets are bloody because of this. There's a passion for what I want. My needs above your needs, taking your life, because I want what you got. Anytime, and we, we, we don't, may not do that as ruthlessly in here, but we do that. My needs above your needs. It's very Western. My needs, I'm first. Right? I have my rights. Right? Right? We're unwilling to take the step back so that others... Hmm? Therefore, it says... I'm sorry, but God gives more grace. If God did not give grace, and one of the biggest graces he's given to the planet is that he's given the Holy Spirit. Because if the Spirit of God is lifted, if the yielding movement of the Spirit of God is lifted, there would be more bloodshed than there is already. If the Spirit does not reign in the community, if he is not at work in the community, that community, that church would fall. But he gives more grace. Isn't that good news? God, I'm messed up. 
And watch this, the quicker I get over my user error, the faster I submit, the quicker the problem can be fixed. As long as I want to hold on, be stubborn, hard head, stiff neck, slow to understand, the longer this thing will play out because God got all the time in the world. He is eternal. He will wait us out. I'm getting grazed. Soon I won't be able to do 100 miles. And there's a box waiting for me. God got all the time. He will not relent. The quicker we get over it, y'all, the quicker we submit. All right, you see that here, and I'm going to be out your way. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes. He opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Ah, oh, Lord, Jesus, help me. I can get, out, I get this done with. He gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. Humility, we got it all messed up, y'all. We think it's this shyness, passivity, you know what I mean? You know, that disposition. That's not what it is. It's not biblically. No, no. Humility, biblically, doesn't necessarily speak of some, you know, thinking less of yourself. That's not, that's not humility. It's it's thinking less of yourself. Hmm? It's, it's thinking less, it's getting a focus off of you. Ho, 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 ho. When Moses was sent to Pharaoh, he didn't go with his tail between his legs. He didn't do that. He didn't go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. At his word, you die. At his word, you live to tell him to unleash God's people, the one in whom he's building his kingdom, the one by which he's getting free labor, he's telling him to let go of God's people. In order for Moses to do that, he had to be thinking less of him. His focus couldn't be on him. God had to get this man to know that I am that I am. And when, you, when he asks, well, who, who sent you? Tell him that I am that I am have sent you. When we get to the place, y'all, where we have this holy swag, this holy confidence down on the inside that we're confident in who we are, that's humility. And, and it's the flip. If you flip it around, right, this whole, you know, thinking less of ourselves thing, right, where, you know, God has blessed you with a voice. When you're in the car, you, you, the voice just comes out, but you won't join in, you know, God's program. You know, you're gifted in certain areas, maybe teaching, maybe preaching, maybe whatever God has anointed you and gifted for, but you sit on it and don't allow, don't avail yourself, don't get involved. That also holds up flourishing within God's church. This is not to be like the football game that's going to be on later on. You know, what you got, about 22 people on the field in the stadium filled with thousands. That's not God's idea of church. La-dee-da-dee, everybody has been equipped, anointed with the Spirit of God. And look at here, 
You haven't begun to live until you are living in your giftedness. Let me get out of your way. Let me get out of your way. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what happened with Moses. He resisted the devil. Notice this. I don't know what you think of the devil. Some people don't believe he exists, but he's real. He's powerful. And if God is calling us to resist him, he is calling you to be filled with the Spirit of God and have some Holy Ghost again swag where you don't, you're not afraid to go in any community. You're not afraid to stand in front of anybody. You are, you are yielded unto God to be what he needs you to be in that moment. Oh, Lord Jesus. And he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I'm almost done. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Look at the, look at the, Look at God's provision. His provision, his solution is to get closer to him. And this is not no mental thing. It's not no, etern- it's not no internal thing. Only this is, you know, not just meditating on God's word and prayer. This is also, again, involvement. Caring for the poor. I know you guys already talked about controlling your tongue. You know, growing in wisdom communing with him in prayer, all of that, the full package is, to, is drawing near to God. Drawing near to God is not just reading a devotion that says draw near to God. It is this eternal, this, this internal and external dying to yourself and allowing God to use you. And it happens, the opportunities are myriad. You can walk into the Wawa, and you can either allow yourself to open the door for the person or you can die to your desire at once because you want to get your stuff and leave and let the person go. Right? In so many ways, in terms of our relationship, interpersonal relationship, take a back seat and allow the other, the other. Your life for my life. It is a theme that Jesus preached. If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to be a follower of me, you must die to self. Oh, I know that I know that I am right about it. I am square, flat-footed in the book. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, ye, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and, your, and to gloom, and your joy to gloom. Essentially what he's getting at y'all again, this Old Testament verbiage that he uses. The indication is that which tickles us, that which we give ourselves over to and laugh at and pridefully own and live in and you know what have you, that is not of God. Once he shows you whatever that is, that pride and laughter and tickling and ha ha he he should now you should have a, Lord, I'm, I, 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 I confess my sin, my faults. 
I'm, I'm sorry I allowed myself, gave myself to that. Thank you for opening my eyes to seeing how that is against your program. That is not your will for my life. So he calls us to this mourning and gloom. Not that we ought to live in that all the time, but when he puts his finger on what he doesn't want me to be a part of anymore, watch anymore, spend my time on anymore, I ought to go to him, Lord Jesus, forgive me. And I'm out of your way here, this last pass, this last verse, what he's been saying all the time. And if you notice, the last word is you. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. King James, King James says in due time, giving most of myself to that version of the scriptures. Humble yourself. What does that mean? I, I'm sorry I didn't unpack that. Set in order under. Humble. Set in order under. That's what the word means in the original language. To set in order under. Set in order under what? Set in order my life under the will of God. Well, how do I do that, sales? His will is very clear. It's his word. As I set in order my life under his word, the Bible says, He'll exalt you in due time. Sales, that sounds too simple. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus said, my words abide in you. My, my words abide, abide, live in you. You shall ask whatever you need, and it shall be given to you. Why is that true? Because your asking will be a result of the word that's abided in you. It won't be no off the top of my head, lustful desire, prayer. As this begins, as I begin to submit myself up under the word of God, the things my heart prays for, my taste buds change and my desires change. I want what God wants. And so when I begin to want what he wants and pray like that, you'll see prayer change. 